feels as though God has rejected his people. He's turned our back. Darkness seems to be moving in, and he's saying, by no means. God has not rejected his people at all. He's saying, for the first reason why I'm showing this demonstration, he says, I myself am an Israelite. God promised to bless his people, the Jewish nation. He's given them the law. He's passed this down. He has revealed himself to them. He's saying, look, I'm one of you. You recognize that Paul was a murderer. His intent was to kill every man, woman, and child that believed in Jesus. Not just kill them, but to drag them out in public and kill them in a public spectacle. That is who Paul was, and God redeemed him saved him from that, brought him into the man that we have seen on the pages of scripture that have taken the message of God to the ends of the earth and we're still talking about him today. I am an Israelite. God is still blessing his people. I am a perfect example of God's grace. A member of the tribe of Benjamin, a descendant of Abraham. God is still at work. Verse two, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. It feels as though God has turned his back. It feels as though God is not present. And he says, God hadn't rejected. Not only is he working in my life, in those of others, but he foreknew you. He hasn't rejected you. He hasn't rejected those that he foreknew. What does this mean? Well, it means that God knew you before you were ever born. He knew exactly the number of breaths you would take. He knew exactly the time frame that you would live in. He didn't put you in ancient Rome or even in the 1800s. He put you right here, right now, at this intersection of all of history. He knows the number of hair on your head or lack thereof. He knows the number of days that you're going to live here. Has God turned his back? Has he rejected his people? No, he foreknew you. He knew all about you before you ever breathed your first breath. God hadn't turned his back on you. He created you for something. God has not turned his back, though it feels like it. Lord, where are you? God hadn't rejected his people. Who he foreknew. Watch this. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, he said, They have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. This prophet Elijah, he's going back to give another picture to the Jews. They would have recognized this. Elijah is one of those great prophets in their history. If you see the story of Elijah, he's the one who called fire from heaven. Lord, I want you to prove to them that you are the one true God. Literally prays for fire. God sends it down. It consumes this altar. All the nation of Israel now know God is the true God. He's also prayed, says, I want you, Lord, in in faithfulness to you, stop the rain, the dew, the mist, everything. Let there be no moisture three and a half years. And then he prayed and rain came back. All of this was demonstrating God's power to his people. But here Elijah tasted this magnificent glory of God. And if you keep reading, he got depressed. If you look at this text, it says, I alone am left and they seek my life. There's that isolation, that loneliness, that isolation and fear. They want my life. 
isolation and fear to bubble up out of his life. It's as if God has turned his back on Elijah. He has revealed all of these powerful miracles, but Elijah still feels like God has turned his back. And what does God say? I've kept myself 7,000 men of Israel who have not bowed the knee. Here's the point that we get here. God kept for himself. It's not these 7,000 men that something about them. God is at work here in their lives. But God is revealing something to Elijah that God is doing something much bigger than what Elijah can see. That little puzzle piece, he's looking around and he's saying, I don't see how this fits. It feels as though I'm all alone. It feels as though darkness is overwhelming and I am afraid of what's going to happen. And God says there is something bigger going on. There are 7,000 men that have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000 men that speak truth into their family. 7,000 men that are going into their workplace and getting the job done glorifying God. 7,000 men who know my voice. You're not alone. And he continues in this concept in verse 5. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant. There's people of God in the midst of this fallen world chosen by grace. God's good pleasure. God is doing this by his good pleasure, verse 6. But if it, if it is by grace, it's no longer based on works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Has nothing to do with you, has everything to do with God. This is happening by God's good pleasure. Paul is setting up this little perimeter of this puzzle piece. He's, he is bringing all of this together and he's revealing this first truth. The key that we must grasp in order to begin to fully realize this thriving life number one, God's plan is big. We look around at that puzzle piece and we say, man, I don't see how God is going to work this out. We can look at Elijah's life and say, it seems as though I'm the only one. I don't see God doing any of this. God is revealing to him, Elijah, there are 7,000 men. There is stuff happening that you have no comprehension that I'm at work with. There are 7,000 of them. Not only that, I'm still working in the lives of those that, that it feels as though I've turned their back, like that of Paul. He is transforming their life. God's plans are big. Whatever it is that you brought with you into this room or online today, we have a tendency as a people to look at one piece of the puzzle, the only thing we can see. It's how we're wired. We can't see the big thing. But God is revealing through this text that that one little piece, whatever you brought, that, that hardship, that fear, that isolation, the challenges, and you say, God, have you turned your back on me? Is there anything more that, that I have? And he is saying there is something much bigger that's going on that you don't see the fullness of. God's plan is big. In order for our lives to thrive, to, to flourish in the things of God, we have to look at those details of our life and say, God has a bigger plan. We know that God's plan is big. It's bigger than what we can see. I don't know how this piece fits in this. I don't know how it works out in the grand scheme of this puzzle, but I do know that he has a place for it. And I do know that he's using it. And I do know that there is stuff going on that I can't quite see. So I'm going to rest and know that he's got this planned out. God's plan is big. 7,000 men 
Elijah. (laughs) It's not just you. God is doing big things that you cannot see. His plan is big and his desire is for you to thrive. We continue in verse 7. So if we know that God's plan is big, we're beginning to see this puzzle take place. This understanding of this big plan is what allows us to begin to thrive. Verse 7, he introduces a new subject to us. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. What is this, Paul? What is this? What then? Has Israel failed to obtain what it's seeking? What he's saying here, if we rewind, every text has a context. So if you go back a few chapters, I I spoke on this one. If you remember the one with the compass, you have the true north and the magnetic north. You have those that are pursuing righteousness to get to God. I am getting to God because I'm a good person. They will always miss the mark, always. So Israel is trying to live in this blessing of God. They are trying to to gain this, this thriving life by being a good person. It says, and they've failed to obtain what they were seeking. You were seeking God and you missed him because you weren't looking at him. But those who weren't even seeking the elect here, they weren't even looking. God provided it for them through faith. It's nothing that they have on their own, everything to do with what God is doing. But then it says that God hardened those. Now here's where we begin to see our next part. Paul is beginning to to reveal something about this fallen culture. The prevailing winds of culture have turned their back on God. They're not following him, and the Lord has allowed this. Now watch, this is written in verse 8. This is all prophetic. God knew this was going to happen before it ever did. This is what's interesting. Watch this. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, their backs bent forever. So this is prophetic. You see now that there is this culture that is pushing, turning their back to God. We know that God's plan is big, but now we're seeing an entire people group who are turning their back to God and saying, we want nothing to do with you. We are going to accomplish this on our own. We are going to live in rebellion to you. And so he's saying, okay, what is going on? Verse 11, he begins to play this out. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. So God is allowing these people to turn their back on him and stumble. They're not going to find the thriving life. They're not going to find God's grace and glory. They're not going to live in his power. He's letting them stumble over this reality. But the Bible says, what's the purpose? Was it that they may fall? Is God vindictive? Is he trying to destroy them? It says, by no means. So God is allowing people to go astray on their own accord, not his, but he's allowing it. Watch, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? In other words, God has allowed this disobedience, allowed it only to reveal his glory to who else but the Gentiles. The people who are so far out from following God, they don't even know who he is. 
They haven't had his law. They haven't seen the miracles yet. But God has moved in their realm and is drawing them to him by the millions and continues to do it today. God is working in the lives of people that they never dreamed God would ever work in. And God is working through this disobedient people to accomplish it. And he's saying that this this disobedience is bringing a richness to those that are outside. And then when they come back, there's a richness for them too. All of this richness of God is spilling over the pages today. No matter how disobedient a culture may be, God still moves in and through it. It leads us to our next point. That first one, we know that God's plan is big. If we want to thrive in our life with God, we recognize this little piece of the puzzle is just that, one little piece. God has a big plan and a purpose, and I'm going to trust in that. But the second thing that we see in this context is that there is no obstacle that blocks God. You have a people that were set aside to reveal God's plan to the nations, and they reject and move away, turn their back to him, ignore him, do not follow or honor or anything about him whatsoever. And God uses that to bring about a a massive indwelling of his spirit amongst thousands, countless of people in which he is moving and bringing them and restoring. God redeems everything he allows And even though an entire generation of people turn their back to him, God still works through it, pouring out his kindness in his thriving life. What this means for you and I, how is it, Elliot, now that I can live this thriving life? What does this point have to do with me? Well, it gives me a confidence when I am looking at the things in my life saying, I don't see how God can ever redeem this challenge I see an entire people that are increasingly antagonistic to biblical truth, that they are pushing me and feels like I'm becoming more and more isolated. It feels like the things of God are being disrespected and put on the shelf somewhere. But people of God, it's not for us to be afraid of such things. This is miracle territory. There is nothing that blocks God from redemption, from redeeming. There is no level of darkness that Satan can come up with that God doesn't overcome. And the Jews are saying, we don't see you. How is this at work? And he's saying, because of your disobedience, God redeems. And when you turn back to him, he redeems. Everything God touches, he redeems. There is no obstacle that blocks God. Something that the Lord taught me when I was looking at this text. I was in a couple of stores earlier this week. June, as you know, is Pride Month. And so they've got the little rainbow flag at the cast register, several of these. And to me, the rainbow, from a biblical view, is a promise from God. It is that he's never going to destroy the earth. It is his faithfulness. I look at that. I know what it means to them. I don't agree. But here's the point. I have been around so many people who will look at the LGBT community and be afraid. Afraid of what is this country coming to? How is this? This is increasingly pushing biblical standards back. And I had to think, I know of someone in every one of those letters LGBTQ. There is a friend or a family member in every one of those elements. And I can tell you their story and every one of them are trying to figure out who they are. There is a desperation in every one of my friends and family of who am I and where is this fulfillment I'm looking. 
This isn't a time to be afraid, people of God. This is a time to recognize that nothing blocks God. You may look at the world and say, it's going sideways, it's going backwards, we're becoming increasingly isolated, and God is saying, no, there is no obstacle that blocks me. I don't care how dark it gets, God redeems in the midst of it. And we don't look at this as a threat. If you want your life to thrive, don't look at these things as a threat, look at them as an opportunity. God redeems that which he allows. God is going to redeem. He is bringing about a redemption here to a people that seems as though they've turned their back on him. He brings it about. And today, it's the same thing. How do we thrive? Well, we recognize it doesn't matter what we see. Cultural winds are opposed to us. You're still sailing on the ocean of God. He's got you. He's got them. He's working through it. We are in miracle territory. Keep watching. He's saying this riches is poured out even amongst the rebellious people. God's plan is big. There's no obstacle that blocks him. None whatsoever. Verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. That's us. People outside of this lineage of Abraham, lineage of David, we're outside of this. I'm speaking to you, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if the rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but the life from the dead? If the dough offered to the first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. He is revealing this truth that God is still at work in the lives of those that seemingly have turned their back to him. He's at work in their life. They're not gone. They're not hopeless. They're not lost. But he's also at work in your life. God's plan is big. There's no obstacle that's blocking him. And now Paul demonstrates this in a word picture and he paints it for us in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in, the others and now are sharing in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. So what he is doing, he's calling you a wild olive shoot. You may have been called a lot of things in your, in your time, but now you can add this to the list. You wild olive shoot. You are grafted in. Now, there's something that he's doing with this, and this is an agricultural thing that they understand. I realize that we may not be in that same sphere, but what God is doing is bringing an outside wild olive branch and is grafting it into the true olive tree, and he is doing this to declare to you, you don't belong here. You weren't born here, you didn't grow up in it, but you were brought over here by God's good grace. And now he is doing something for you. Now, I want to show you a video because I recognize many of us do not have an olive tree in our backyard, not even in our front yard. We don't have it. We don't know what this looks like. So I want you to watch this video, but I want you to ask yourself two questions as you watch what's happening. Number one, what role, you remember, you're the wild olive shoot. What role does that little stick have in this whole thing? That's you. What role do I have in this process? And number two, what are my needs? What is it that I need to thrive? Let's watch the video, ask those two questions.
what role did you play in being selected to be that stick that gets grafted in there? Nothing. What are your needs? You need water. You need minerals. You need all of this sustaining power that comes from the root, from the plant. It's not a matter of you at all. And you see this little plant is thriving after being grafted in there. There's nothing that it did, but it's relying on the root to provide that. Many times farmers will graft because there's something about the root base that is working well in the soil that it's planted in. In the area, it may have a resistance to a certain disease and they'll graft in. There's something about that root base that allows this stuff to thrive. I wonder what biblical truth we can draw from that. But Paul is saying you are wild, you are grafted in, and you're receiving this nourishing root, this nourishment from the root of the olive tree. And he says this, verse 18, if you are, remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. We're looking at this thriving concept. It's all about God and his grace. Verse 19, you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. But they were broken off because of their unbelief. But if you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear... For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Now what this is really looking at is not the issue of salvation as much as it is thriving. If you are going to thrive with God and thrive in, in that nourishing, sustaining power, you will stay connected and humble in his grace. This has been brought to you, but when you say, I'm going to provide life on my own, and we go off on our own, that's where we no longer receive this nourishment. Outside of God, there is no life. And he's reminding us of this, but watch, he's beginning to pull out that third point together today. Verse 22, note then the kindness in the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So, all of this has to come down to God's kindness, verse 23, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For they were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in their own olive tree? It leads us to that third and final point. God's plan is big. We look at that puzzle piece and say, I don't see how this fits in the grand scheme of things. And God says, my plan is much bigger than what you can anticipate. We see, secondly, there's no obstacle that's blocking God. In the darkest of dark, the prevailing wind of culture, everything seems as though God is lifting his hands away. This is the very time that God redeems and blesses and draws out through his what? His kindness this third part God desires to show an abundance of kindness what role did you have of being grafted in nothing what role do you have in receiving this nourishment nothing you are clinging to it for your survival that's all that that stick is doing and it is flourishing it is thriving there's nothing you did but look at the Jews it says it feels as though God has lifted his blessing away, and it says, we haven't cut you off permanently. If you come back to me in faith, you too will thrive. God is offering kindness to everybody. 
inside, outside, left, right, down the center, doesn't matter. God's intention is to show an abundance of kindness. That is his desire. For anyone who turns to him, his desire is exactly that. Those who felt like they've been on the outside, they're on the inside now. God, through his kindness, did it. Those that have turned away, he'll put them back. God wants to show you his kindness. Whatever it is that you brought in this room and online today, you're looking around at your life saying, I don't feel like I thrive. I don't feel like the challenges in my life, I don't see how God is working through it. I don't see how God's gonna redeem it. I don't see how I can literally flourish. I don't see it, but God reminds us, my plan is bigger than what you see. That part that you see in your life is like one piece of the puzzle. And there's so many others, just like the story of Elijah saying, I have 7,000 other men that are following me. There are so many other things that God is doing that you may not see. My plan is big. There's no obstacle that blocks him, no form of evil or amount thereof that can somehow thwart God's plan. However God does it, with a whole world of people who have turned their back, you being one of them, God redeems. Nothing to be afraid of there because we know that God delivers every time. And we also see a picture of God's heart in this thriving life that he's calling us to. My desire, man, woman, child of God, is that I want to show you my kindness. That's my whole intention as an almighty God is to reveal my kindness to you and I will allow your life to thrive. Today, God has called you to do exactly that. I don't know what you've brought in the room with you. Something heavy, something that you doubt. There's a struggle, there's a depression, there's despair. You may actually be in pretty good shape, but you know in the depth of your heart, there's something more that God has for me. And today he brought you here to reveal this concept of thriving with him. And maybe today we just have to acknowledge, God, there's something bigger here and I'm gonna keep my eyes open about what that may be. Lord, I am fearful of where things are going, but I know that you're going to redeem. And God, I am trusting in your heart, that is, that you want to pour out your kindness. And today, I'm gonna take a deep breath in and I'm gonna exhale and let all that stuff go to you because you command my destiny and you want me to thrive. And today, I'm going to rest in that truth. So here's what we're gonna do in this time. I, I want you to spend a moment with God. Whatever that is, lay it before him saying, Lord, I'm not thriving. These are the struggles of why I'm not. And I'm gonna lay it before you. There may be somebody here you haven't been grafted in. You long to flourish to see all that God has for you. That comes through faith. That we just cling to Jesus and what he's done and we believe that to be true and we hang on to it. And God blesses and honors and today he brought you here for that purpose. I don't know why you're here it doesn't matter that I need to know at all, but what does matter is that you do business with God according to the reason why he brought here, and he intends to speak that into your heart today. So we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing. Make this your heart prayer. Spend time with the Lord. We have steps here if that will work. I'll be down front if I can pray with you, I'd be happy to. But in this moment, let's spend time with the Lord. His intention is for you to thrive. Everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com. To 
share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.